0: (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Lila Mills, communications manager with Neighborhood Connections. It's December 2nd, and you're with a virtual City Club Forum. Local news outlets are a vital component of a healthy community. They promote civic engagement, hold elected officials accountable, boost local economies and foster community. Unfortunately, many states are grappling with a dramatic loss of local newspapers and news outlets. For example, today, Ohio has 32% fewer newspapers than it did in 2004. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, new publications and partnerships are aiming to fill the void with much needed coverage. A few of those publications include A Greater Buckeye, The Buckeye Flame, and The Cleveland Observer, as well as a new partnership effort titled the Northeast Ohio Solutions Solutions Journalism Collaborative, also called Neo-SOJO, which brings together more than 20 newsrooms across Cleveland and Akron to address community issues through a solutions journalism lens. Today we have representatives from these outlets with us to share their unique models, their funding sources, and their contributions to the region's changing media landscape. Joining us today are Sharon Broussard, Project Coordinator for Neo-Sojo. Ron Calhoun, publisher of the Cleveland Observer. Founded about 18 months ago, the Cleveland Observer covers Asia Town, St. Clair Superior, and Huff, and has recently expanded to include Glenville, East Cleveland, Central, Fairfax, Mount Pleasant, and the Lee Harvard neighborhoods. We have Julian Kahn, who is a founder of A Greater Buckeye, was founded earlier this year, and Greater Buckeye is an online news platform serving the news and information needs in Buckeye, Shaker Square, Larchmere, and Woodland Hills. And finally, we have with us Ken Schneck, who is the editor of The Buckeye Flame. Founded in June, 2020, The Buckeye Flame stands as Ohio's only statewide LGBTQ news and views platform. Based in Cleveland, but covering every corner of the state, the flame amplifies the voices of LGBTQ plus Ohioans to support community and civic empowerment through the creation of engaging content. As with every City Club Forum, you can participate with your questions. Text them to 330-541-5794. Again, that's 330 541 five, seven, nine, four. You can also tweet them at the city club and we'll try to work them in with that, let's begin. Thanks everybody for being here today.
1: Well, Thank you for having us.
0: Um, so Cleveland has so many assets when it comes to local news, um, including folks who aren't with us today. So I just want to, before we start, I want to give a shout out to all the folks like, um, from the East side, daily news to the Plain press on the West side who have been out there kind of fighting this good fight for decades. Um, today for all of us, um, you all are new and emerging, and we want to kind of focus on three main topics today, how you got started, how you're funded. And lastly, the best part, your stories, the stories that you've loved the most, the stories that your audiences have loved the most. Um, so let's start by talking about a little bit about each of who you are, um, particularly for Ron, Ken and Julian. You all kind of strike me as you have other day jobs. Journalism is not your day job. And you all kind of strike me as the kind of people that if I needed to know something in my community, I'd come to you. Like you're just natural connectors. You connect with people, you connect people together. Um, in fact, earlier this summer when I had a question about getting a sidewalk fixed in Buckeye, I went to Julian and Julian knew the answer. So let's talk a little bit about some of your backstory, how you even came to start, start these media organizations. Um, Ken, we talked a little bit about the Buckeye Flame, but you also do everything from stand-up to authoring (laughs) books. And your your day job is as a tenured professor. So kind of tell us the origin story of the Buckeye Flame.
2: Sure. Yes, I am indeed a professor of education at Baldwin-Wallace University. Uh, I'm speaking about leadership in higher education and, and racial justice in society. I've been a freelancer in Cleveland for about five years now. I moved to Cleveland in 2013, and uh, I was writing for Cleveland Magazine and for Freshwater Cleveland, and also for Prism Magazine. Uh, So Prism Magazine was launched in 2017, and you could find it all over the state. And in 2019, in March of 2019, they asked uh, they were having some leadership turnover, and they asked if I could just fill in as the editor for a couple months. I said sure. Uh, I can do that for a little bit. Um, and I ended up being the editor for a year uh, until Prism shut down this past March because all the advertisers pulled out because there was no pride to advertise for. There were no events to advertise for. Uh, so Prism, Prism shut down and, and it just clicked immediately of, well, we can't not have any LGBTQ journalism presence in the state. So I got together with a group of folks here in uh, Cleveland uh, and immediately decided, which we'll talk about in a bit, you know, that we wanted to go the nonprofit route. That we wanted uh, there to be a site that, in particular, amplified the voices of LGBTQ people of color, because uh, we knew that those are the voices that that are just not being amplified. Uh, and built a board. We built just the most ridiculously interactive, diverse board from all over the state, uh, and and. I think within about six weeks the site launched and, and here we are entering month six. It has been an incredible ride so far.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, Ron, you have somewhat of a similar story to Ken. I mean, you you were retired. You were entering retirement. You didn't intend to start a newspaper and yet here you are not only starting one but growing one. I mean, I, I, I tell people
1: this about. all the time. If you would have told me two years ago that I was gonna be producing, publishing a newspaper, I would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> I am retired, I'm a retired system analyst from the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, two years ago, I went to a community meeting and I expressed some concerns over not getting communications between the city of Cleveland, between what was going, the development that was going on in this, in the city, in particular in the Huff Ward and uh, uh, the smart guy, Kicked it back to me and said, "Well, what you gonna do about that, Mister Calhoun?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there, kind of reeling, going, "Oh, he, he got kicked it right back in my court here." So by the end of the meeting, I I came back and I said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out and maybe start a website, maybe start a print version, and let me get back to you." <laughs> and thirty days later, I'm I'm a I'm a doer. I mean, when you work for the clinic, you got to get your job done. So. Uh, For 30 days, I just saturated myself in journalism. And believe me, if it wasn't for key partners like John Copic over at the Collinwood Observer and Rich Weiss over at Tree Monster, kind of mentoring me along the path, uh, it it would have been a a tremendous learning curve, but they helped. And so in that 30 days, I entrenched myself into how can I get this publication out? 30 days later, I walked into this uh, councilman's office and I said, here it is. And uh, he was pretty impressed because uh, he turned a couple of pages and I kind of got the impression that it was it was kind of beyond the back burner. But as he turned the pages, he said, OK, I'm going to support this. So that's where the initial support came from. And um, it kind of blossomed from there. We've been consistently putting out a print version for two years now. And just recently in June, we blossomed and expanded into the Cleveland Observer because at that time it was the Ward 7 Observer. So did I get uh, drawn into this by chance? I look at it now and I go, nope, this was my destiny. And I'm enjoying every minute of it meeting all these fantastic people.
0: (laughs) I love it, I love it. Um, Let's talk a little bit with you, Julian. Um, You know, last year around this time maybe, or a little bit earlier than this time last year, we were talking about uh, your idea for Greater Buckeye. We were talking about the idea that it matters who tells the story. And then by June, you were putting out content that for me was must see content. The stuff you did after the Rally for Black Lives downtown, yes. the live IG, TV, talkbacks, that yes. was stuff that um, I had to see. So, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, about your drive to start a greater Buckeye? Why it's a social media platform, particularly?
3: Yeah, well, um, well, social media is uh, what I'm fluent with. Um, you know, much like uh, our other panelists, you know, I've got a different uh, a story, not traditional from uh, your your average uh, uh, journalist or what you may assume would be uh, attached to them. But I've started a, a mm-hmm. something like this before. I started a a, a blog, and um, it just didn't work well because capitalism came knocking, and I went the other way. And uh, so now it's an opportunity for us to just kind of get the uh, get it right, and um, you know what I what I recognized in the interim uh, while just uh, just kind of struggling with uh, the decision to go towards uh, um, uh, capitalism and not really honoring what I felt like was uh, you know just me being a, an intrinsic connector. That's what I felt like I was trying to create a destination space around that, and um, really honoring the fact or creating a. a Trans, trans uh, transparent space where people were able to see that they were the ones, they, they were the real uh, resources, you know, and that sort of thing doesn't, it, it, that's not, uh, that doesn't shine through if it's just me withholding the information and extending to, to everyone. So, you know, virtual space, just, um, um, gaining just increasing value over the year. Um, that was an important decision for us. Um, last year we were, I was afforded the uh, opportunity to do some, some surveying in the, in the neighborhood uh, concerning the, uh, New community development corporation that was coming into Buckeye, Larchmere, Shaker Square, Woodland Hills areas and servicing there. So, you know, it's really been a culmination of a lot of different things. That surveying that allowed me to, to do some um, some deep listening in the neighborhood and it allowed me to understand that um, there are parallels throughout the neighborhood, regardless of the invisible boundaries that existed. Yeah. We know that uh, Ludlow may function distinctly different than Woodland Hills, but people still want to trans, uh, trans uh, transparency from their uh, from the people that were. The, There to service them, you know, um, just very simple things. Um, But beyond that, it felt like um, just historically that um, there's always been a bit of a disconnect with us and and and, uh, traditional media sources. And when I say us, I mean um, the neighborhoods like Buckeye, which I call home. Right? Um, I can think over the span of years where. just the number of times where I felt like uh, I was underserved or, uh, you know, my, my s- stories just didn't matter that much or, you know, the response or the community response just didn't get the same um, sort of uh, trumpeting that the, uh, you know, these above the fold horror stories always got. You know, what about the community <laughs> response? You know, there were many yeah. times where um, the neighbors uh, and neighborhood just uh, banded together and, and, and decided to respond to, to, you know, tragedies, you know, but those things never got any coverage. And the only thing that reverberated and really controlled this neighborhood was this idea that this uh, neighborhood was unsafe and that, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, it just helps to reinforce all of these, the, the redlining and the issues that we, we talk about. Right. Who wants to come in? Who wants to live in a space that seems like that? Who wants to service a space like that? as a As a business owner, who wants to exist in a space like that? Um, three, four months ago, I had a conversation with a a pizza shop owner who wanted to discontinue um, 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 um delivery services in Buckeye. and the only thing that he cited was news stories, news stories. <laughs> so you know when we think about um, the I mean we're all Americans, but you know we know that there are two Americas. and um, you know the, the, the work that needs to be done is uh, it, there needs to be restorative work. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said earlier with the, uh, with the surveying and stuff that we were doing last year, um, when I was in Buckeye and Hills, a lot of those neighbors didn't even know what, what a community development corporation did yeah. or who the previous one was. Yeah. And so it just reminded me that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. Um, and that, uh, print media has its boundaries and, um, trusted yeah. news has to come from trusted sources.
0: Yes. It matters who tells the story. I mean, one of the things I loved last year when you were first telling me about the idea for A Greater Buckeye is you rewrote something that had been published in the newspaper from the perspective of residents, and it was immediately so much deeper and so much more engaging. Um, It it really matters, that perspective, who tells that story. Um, um, Let's move on to Sharon here and talk about collaboration, because neighborhood connections, um, the Cleveland Observer, the Buckeye Flame, we're all members of Neo Sojo, the collaborative. So can you talk a little bit about why collaboration matters and why all the good work that's happening can be stronger when we collaborate?
4: Yeah. Well, I think collaboration matters because it means, you know, teamwork and people that may have fewer resources around this time, especially with COVID you know, can now band together and can produce stories that they might not have been able to produce on their own. Um, Our collaborative has been sharing reporters. Um, I've had offers for people to use photographs from different websites. You know, they've been working with radio and putting print stories or digital stories also on radio. So it just kind of expands the universe of what people can do, even though you may have a small shop and so I think it's kind of the wave of the future. There are many collaboratives seated across the country these days, and we're trying to figure out how it works. So, you know, I'm not yeah. saying that it's set in stone, but that's the idea of it.
0: Yeah, it's learning and experimenting. This week, my, um, Mike McIntyre from Stream wrote something about the Neo-Sojo collaborative, and he said, um, you know, that journalism and news and information are needed Um, They're essential to a healthy society. And even if we're doing it, we always need to be doing more of it and that the collaboration helps us do more of that.
1: Um, If I could if I could comment on that, uh, you know, the the model from the 50s was you got to get that news out before the other people get the news out. Mm -hmm. And social media has changed that that model. Uh, Collaboration is the new model. Uh, we have been done some really unique things through the uh, Sojo collab. I think it's the wave of the future. It is the future. And as long as we can collab together, we, we get that you uh, get that trusted input for the community, and then they start trusting us again.
0: Yeah, you, you did a great four part series through the collaborative. It reminds mm-hmm. me of that idea that Julian was talking about that it matters who's telling the story. And so, you know, Ron, you may be able to tell a story in your community that is trusted that um, I may not be able to tell or Sharon may not be able to tell. Same with any of our various communities. So when we all come together, the narrative just gets that much richer. Um, I wanna back up a little bit though and talk a little bit about structure because all of you kind of represent a different, have a different infrastructure behind you um, Ken decided to go the route of a nonprofit when he started the Buckeye Flame earlier this year. Ron, you work as an LLC, and Julian and Sharon, your your projects are grant funded. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit. Ken, can we go back to you and start with you? Talk a little bit about why you made that decision to go nonprofit.
2: Sure. Yeah. We, we, from the very start, wanted to go the 501c3 route. Uh, we didn't anticipate it was going to happen as quickly as it did. So we're quite pleased with that. Uh, we submitted the paperwork and we were prepared to be told how we messed it up. Uh, but it was great. It sailed through and, and everything. You know, we are officially a 501c3. When you get that letter from the IRS and you don't know what's in it, it's a little bit nerve wracking. But, it was, it was, <laughs> but for us, it was all about stake. It was all about the community having a stake in what it is that we do. Um, Having previously worked for other publications where the publisher really had some editorial decisions and limited us, you know, I'm thinking of an instance uh, working for an LGBTQ publication uh, where covering, there was a a Martin Luther King protest. There was a protest at a Martin Luther King breakfast uh, a few years ago where some um, uh, queer... Protesters of color were physically dragged out by the police, mm. and I wrote a piece about that, highly amplifying your story. And there were raising bail for them, and I got a lot of pushback from the public for being told you really didn't represent the side of the police. Mm. No, I, I did not. Uh, this is an LGBTQ publication. And so I, we just didn't, from the very start, we wanted to avoid that. We wanted the LGBTQ community and the ally community uh, to be the backers of the Buckeye Plan. We wanted to be accountable to them. Uh, we wanted to make sure that there was a, a space for everybody and the 501c3 uh, does make sure that we are to some degree nonpartisan. I think we struggle with that a little bit and we got to get a little bit better at that. Uh, but But from the very start, that is the route we wanted to go. We wanted the integrity um, of the 501c3, but we wanted the community to be our publisher.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, Ron, I mean, Sharon and Julian, you have grant funding. What do you think the role is of philanthropy in supporting journalism today? Oh, I, to me, it's like, you know, it's giving basically people the
4: gas to do the things that they already do. They, they have a good car. They know their neighborhoods, you know, um, they're connected. They talk to everybody. A lot of these publications are just very knowledgeable and very creative, but they don't have the gas in the tank in order to take those stories to as many places as they can or, you um, Wider distribution for a lot of those stories, so I I kind of see that as their major role. Um, I don't know what Julian thinks, so I'm I'm to here. <laughs> yeah,
3: I want to hear too. I, I was, <laughs> um, to, to be honest with you, uh, you know, the, it affords us the opportunity to throw some spaghetti off the wall. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and. and um, as an organizer and just doing other things, um, in the neighborhood, it was always difficult for me to get people to fund something that they didn't know they needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so this gives us an opportunity to, to figure out what people need, you know? Um, so, you know, there are a lot of publications that are in the neighborhood. I mean, you mentioned one earlier, like Eastside, Daily News, I, you know, there's a lot of resources in our neighborhoods. Um, but, um, you know, still those voids still existed, you know, as I, as I noted earlier. And, um, you know, and it really begs for us to to get creative. And um, what, what I recognized here was an, an opportunity for us to do exactly that, to try and um, take good information, news, uh, whatever that may be. That's up to the community to decide what that is. It's not up to me. Um, but for us to take that good news and take it into spaces where it's notably absent. Or to uh, reconfigure it in a space to, in a way that is uh, more easily digestible. Um, that's what that uh, sort of funding allows us to do. It also allows us to conceptualize how to create a self-sustainable model in the future, so that we don't have to in- invite other agencies or anyone else who could ultimately control our narrative. You know, um, it, it just gives us a, a space to just grow and and, and just dream without boundaries. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that sustainable future, controlling the narrative. Um, let's end with you, Ron, when we, when we talk about this, cause you have kind of the most traditional structure. You have an LLC. Um, how is that working for you? Do you, how has it worked for you since the launch and, and what have you learned along the way?
1: Well, yeah, we started with the traditional model of advertisements and, um, I'm starting to lean. I think Ken and Julian they get it. Uh, I'm starting to lean towards the nonprofit. In fact, the Cleveland Observer is a nonprofit, uh, as not not like the uh, Ward Seven Observer, which wasn't. And the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, again, we have this issue in the community that news source can't be trusted, and I understand that now. Coming from uh, a totally different background and into this arena, you you start to wonder why things aren't told why, why the truth isn't put out there and so I had an example. I had a business they get they wanted an advertisement and then that business did something uh, inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So now do I do I write about that in spite of the fact that I'm getting paid by that business or it could be an institution it could be the government you, you put the example in that you would like to put in now and, and then take that on a, on a national or an international level. All of these traditional news sources are using advertisement as the model, but can they really tell the truth? So now I'm looking at the nonprofit, the 501c. If I can get nonprofit funding, now I can actually tell the truth and tell the story the way uh, it's supposed to be store, to, told as opposed to ah, I got to watch this, I can't be I can't be biased, I can't be. So I so I like the new model of nonprofit and I'm looking into it even more. And I think the old model, traditional model of advertisement has its barriers. So uh, I, I like the direction of nonprofit.
0: I love how you just keep learning and changing, Ron, and, and, <laughs> and being so flexible that you're starting all these different ways. And you didn't even intend to do this two years ago. Um, <laughs> let's move into stories. Um, you're all producing great work. The Buckeye Flame has, I think, 24 content areas. You're covering everything from arts to policy and legislation, faith, family. Um, The Buckeye Flame has a section called Steal Our Stories with guidelines for how others can republish your stories for free, giving credit to the Buckeye Flame. The Cleveland Observer has a community news section with editorials, rent assistance, information, and more. You have a section where anyone can upload a story to be considered for publication. Julie and I was scrolling through the Greater Buckeye feed on Instagram. You've got uh, stories about a new business. You've got stories about people staying safe during the pandemic. Um, tell me what are your favorite stories that you all have um, produced this year or the ones most loved by readers? Yeah, so we can start with you. With me. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs>
2: we really try to balance out the news and views right so on the one hand and we have to remember Cuyahoga county though we have protections here for employment and housing and public accommodations most of the rest of the state does not if an individual steps foot over the county line into Lake County into Medina they don't have protections uh, they can be fired for being LGBTQ they can uh, be kicked out of their housing for being LGBTQ uh, they can be kicked out of a restaurant for being LGBTQ. And this is uh, the Ohio Fairness Act, HB 369, has been bandied about in the state house for, for well over a decade. Um, and so we wanna make sure that we're, we're covering the news uh, and, and there are bills that are active. It's not just uh, HB 369 to protect the LGBTQ community, uh, but it's also bills that are specifically targeting, in particular, our trans siblings. Uh, bills that, that would deny youth uh, the medical and psychological care that they are seeking. Uh, bills that would prevent trans people from participating in athletics. So that's on the news side. On the views side, we really wanted to create a space where, where individuals uh, could express their views, could express their commentary without barriers that they might find elsewhere It's being published. Uh, so. Um, you know one of our most popular stories was was one of our writers a local writer BJ Colangelo who wrote about her experiences with her wife uh, going grocery shopping and the looks uh, and, and and the judgment the, the explicit judgment that they get just trying to go grocery shopping I myself I swear not all of our stories have to do with grocery shopping but I wrote a piece uh, maybe that's going to be the new theme is the twenty first continent gay and grocery shopping? Um, I was in the Trader Joe's a few months ago in Crocker Park and was in the parking lot and got a call from a 201 number, which is New Jersey, which is where I grew up. So I had to answer it and it ended up being my bully from 25, yeah. years, ago. 25 years later. This guy randomly calls me on my phone. It set me on this path thinking about bullying, thinking about progress, how do we interact with people decades later? And so just dashed off a quick piece, and then all of a sudden it's everywhere. So people yeah. are eating up both sides. They want that authenticity. They want those views. They want to hear um, from other LGBTQ people and the experiences, not just in the three Cs, but there actually are gay people outside of uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus. Um, and, and, They want their their views to be heard as well. But then also we have to cover the fact that we are specifically still being targeted uh, by Republican Ohio uh, senators and representatives with legislation to strip rights and to deny us the same rights as our neighbors. So there's
0: a lot going on. I I love that piece then on the bully because you also at the end of it have all the questions you're then wrestling with yourself. How have I used my platform? All, what should you do next? All these other questions. But I also love your answer you just gave now because I do think it helps, um, well, it helped me recognize when you, you give that idea of just crossing the county line. Oh yeah. It means, it means it's an issue of personal safety. So I, I love that. Thank you for that. Yeah, I that um,
2: when I drove from Vermont to here in 2013, when I just drove eight hours and moved from Vermont to Cleveland, I left so many legal rights behind. Uh, and and
0: that, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it really shows the importance of the publication just in being, not only sharing personal stories, but also just, just keeping that at the forefront of the minds of folks who might not recognize that otherwise. Um, before we get to in a few moments, we're gonna turn to questions. Um, if you have questions for any of our panelists, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and we will try to work them in. Um, before we turn to questions, we have a few that have already come in. I did want to talk a little bit, Sharon, about the YouTube moratorium story. Um, this is this published this week. I think mm-hmm. it was a kind of story that wouldn't have been published without the collaborative. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that came together and the response? Oh yeah, that's taken a whole team of uh,
4: reporters to do, um, led by Connor Morris and Rachel Desell, um, and but also TV and Ideastream and some radio reporters, and basically they delved into like you know what's going to happen to a lot of people after the the utility forbearance um, ends, and they came up with this huge um, guide uh, resource guide to help tell people like okay if this is your um, utility company this is where you should turn and that was through the work of shana black of black girl media so it was once again it was teamwork that made that such a great thing what we heard already is that university hospitals their social workers are going to be using our guide to help guide them on how to help people and jared brown has tweeted out about how uh, you know the moratorium um, should um, should not end so quickly, considering there's no package from Congress to help people. So it's gotten a lot of traction I'm trying to figure out where to go with it next, but just like one of those stories that only by everybody piling on could we really make a difference and get this out to the community. And that's yeah. the kind of work that we like to do and see.
0: Yeah, one other quick piece here, uh, just really wanna highlight that idea that UH is using something produced through the collaborative that for the first time brings all these resources together Mm -hmm. so that if I'm struggling with utilities, I have a one-stop shop I can go to to figure this out. I think that's really important and just highlight that. But also I wanted to just super quickly talk about the collaboration with the Cuyahoga County Public Library because Neo Sojo launched its website this week and that again would not have happened without that collaboration with the library. I think a really important partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: they've been a great partner. They um, built the website that we have now and they are helping us post stories and all that kind of thing. And I should give a shout out then to the Clinton Foundation. They have made it possible for us to have a Report for America reporter, Connor Morris. And he's done a lot of work for the club, along with all the partners who've just been pretty fantastic at coming up with story ideas and kicking around story ideas that other people have and making them better. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, great. We're going to turn to um, some questions. Um, We have one question that has come in. The first question we have is, do any of you all participate or ask questions at the governor's COVID briefing? We can't see the journalists, but I wonder about diversity and inclusion of those asking the questions to ensure the concerns of all Ohioans are addressed. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Maybe
4: some of my my members actually would be Cleveland.com is with us in WKYC. So I'm sure that they're there, but I'm not there personally. No. No,
1: I have not been there either. So, uh, that's, that's a great question. It is a great question.
0: It's a great question. Um, question number two, Julian, you mentioned doing community surveys, please discuss that process and the types of questions you asked.
3: Wow. Um, well, you know, the surveys were, uh, um basically asking folks what they wanted to see in their neighborhood how they wanted to be serviced you know um and so the most important thing for anyone is looking to service in a, a neighborhood is to take up measurements first you know you walk into a uh, a clothing store and you're looking to get something fitted for you they're not just going to pull something off the rack and say here this should work um and so that wasn't the goal with with those surveys either we want to understand uh, where the voids were where people had historically felt underserved um, where they saw themselves and uh, where they would like to go as a community, and where, and just understanding where where they uh, where their boundaries were, um, so on and so forth. Um, it was really about just uh, restoring a neighborhood and, and tapping into the needs of people. It was very simple. It really wasn't uh, anything, uh, you know, that uh, prescriptive um but you know my grandfather used to always say if you want to learn anything about somebody you play 18 holes of golf with them you know and uh, i learned that as a caddy as a kid but um you know i, I would you i would utilize some of that um know how and and in, in, in the surveying as well you know just sitting down and just providing an open ear you'd be surprised what you'd hear from people and how people would open up and um, just having other experiences that normally wouldn't connect otherwise and in, in your back pocket to connect with people to remind them that they are not alone in their suffering or frustration, that's that's on another level. I mean, that's, that's restorative on another level and that's what good storytelling can do. Um, but yeah, the survey was really just about gaining consensus and, and figuring out how to support the uh, community development corporation into moving into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm.
0: You, Julian, Ron and Ken have all talked about that idea of being led by the audience so you're making sure that you're asking the questions that are going to lead you in the direction that people are interested in having you move. Um, Okay, so we have another question here. As we are reimagining journalism, are we reimagining enough room for community members to tell their stories and report on their own communities? Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, without it, without a doubt, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry I jumped the gun on that. But uh, that that is the honestly for the Cleveland Observer, that is the biggest uh, opportunity to get people from the community to write their own story. We love it. And that's why we have that link on the site so that they can write their own story, put it and submit it. We edit it. We make them look good. We produce it. And it's a done deal. Absolutely,
3: I'd love to piggyback off of that, now, I'm sure I'd probably echo a lot of Ryan's sentiments uh, because he was at the table. when We were, you know, conceptualizing a, a greater Buckeye, and um, in many ways, he was my barometer: am I going the right direction or not? You know, but um, uh, at the at the root of this, this was always centered around people telling their own stories. Um, look, last year, I remember we were working with a, a grocer in the neighborhood, and I had just come out of a nail salon. Uh, for personal and professional reasons. And, uh, you know, they were all uh, kind of shouting and, 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 uh, you know, just upset about this grocer. And when I came outside, there was a, a news uh, a journalist outside who was doing his own story. He said, Oh, we've got a breaking story. And, uh, he put the camera in my face and he said, would you be interested in doing a story with us? And I've got these flyers about this, what, what I feel like is a trending story in our neighborhood. And, um, but he, he said, um, uh, uh, we just learned that, um, um, uh, uh, banking institutions have had a history of unfair lending practices towards African-Americans. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, this is breaking news mm-hmm. uh, from 1796, maybe. Or <laughs> uh, but, you know, it just reminded me that, you know, that there's space for for, for um, some of these hyperlocal issues, you know, and um, it's up to us to really tell those stories. So, We've got all sorts of uh, tools or whatnot to help people tell those stories. Uh, we'll be rolling out our uh, website very soon. Um, but we've got GoPros and all sorts of stuff that um, we've purchased in hopes to just extend to people, help train them in, in, in using those things. But um, just how can we help you to tell your story? How can we shine a light on a space that needs light shined on? it? Yeah. So there was a second part to that question. The second part is
0: Is community writing too difficult to edit or publish? Or is the quality of the community perspective more important than the quality of the journalism? Yeah.
3: That's kind of a yes. loaded question. Right, <laughs> <laughs> that might not be a question if I heard the second part of
1: it. <laughs> 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 and Unless Kim, Kim wants to say something. Go ahead, Kim.
2: Well, I was going to say, who's determining quality? You know, I, I think yeah. that's, that's a really uh, exclusive club yeah. sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what prevents people from expressing their point of view. I mean, this is what we see over and over is that, well, don't step up to the mic unless you know exactly what. No, step okay. up and speak from your authenticity and speak how these things are affecting you. Uh, and and so again, I, I think that that, I think it's a really fair question. And it's an important one. Um, and, and we certainly will get responses back and say, well, that word shouldn't have gone there. Cool, but read the piece, And that was the <laughs> So I, I would really push back against uh, what we're saying is, is quality uh, and, and who it is that's determining that because largely who's determining that, um, if I can say, you know, are straight white men.
1: Wow. You know, I, I struggle with that also because uh, when you're mixing between the professionals and hyper news, which is viewed totally different the professionals think one way and then the hyper news people think another way, you have to ba- do a balancing act. Uh, you get a story that's not quite up to professional standards and you say, okay, how do I present this so that it gives a good light in terms of journalism but also tells the story? And then you get the j- professional journalism. We've had an opportunity to work with the Rachel DeSales, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Aussie uh, Scrubs, uh, yeah. and, it, and it seems like they think the more, Information and the more data uh, is is good, uh, but when you're when you're trying to discern that and 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 and, and give it to the community, you know it, it turns into a balancing act, and that we struggle with that. We struggle with that big time, but we try to make sure that uh, it's fair, it's balanced, and it's truth.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna um, agree with Ron that that can often be a struggle that we've discussed in the past, but you know, when you have 20 different news outlets, you've got to be able to share it. So it has to be at some kind of level. So that way as many publications as want to share it can do so. So I always find that to be important. So that way the news is distributed to a lot more um, outlets than just maybe the one where it started, so, but yeah.
0: It's a, it's a discussion. Lots of discussion and in different formats too, right? Different people are going to be attracted to different ways. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of questions coming in. So I'm going to keep on piling through these. This is an interesting one, Sharon, for you, for organizations wanting to support all of the Sojo publications, is there a way to advertise in them collectively as opposed to 15 separate media buys? That has no. been discussed by Ron, probably more than me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we're well, for grant-supported. For grant that hasn't really come up, but we're not going to be grant-supported forever. So I'm going to say, yes, at some point, there will be a way to advertise, and you know we will gladly accept it. We do have a website, for example. That could be one way to do it, but it's probably going to take a group conversation to figure out what mode we're going to be doing that in if we do it.
0: And similar to what Julian talked about before, um, so the SOJO collaborative is grant funded for two years, I think. Yeah. And then at that point, the idea is you're gonna have um, enough kind of road under your feet to be able to figure out some sustainability issues. And I think probably yeah. that piece would be key to that. Um, right. We have another question for the collaborative. Have you considered a compensation model for the what for the writers whose stories are shared between partners? Can you well,
4: talk a little bit about how folks are compensated? Yeah, uh, we do have a grant of about $65,000. It's much less now. But in any case, yes, we can't pay freelance writers, and freelance photographers and freelance graphics people. So, yes, um, people can be compensated. And that's what Ron and Ken uh, make sure happens after they've written for us.
0: And for, so those of us who are collaborative members were not compensated to be part of the collaborative, no, no, but, no. but for say, for instance, the series that Ron ran in mm-hmm. the Observer, um, those writers could have been compensated. through They the were yeah, compensated, they were, yeah.
1: Yeah, the writers were exactly. compensated, the photographers were compensated. If it went on radio, they were compensated. Uh, so everybody but the publisher is getting compensated
0: right? So. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, too, as time goes on, I years ago did a community newspaper in which we weren't able to compensate many people. Mm -hmm. And I do think compensation is a key issue, right, if we are valuing people's time, Mm -hmm. compensation goes along with that. Okay, so here's another question we have. How do the panelists see their role, if there is one, from moving from niche news to mainstream media, i.e. not just being seen as LGBTQ news or news for a certain community, but just as news? Or is the goal to remain hyper local and not move into what is considered mainstream media? Again, mm-hmm. another kind of loaded question. Yeah,
3: definitely. Yes. I, I always say stay in your lane, there's less traffic. Yes. Um, and so my, grand, my mother used to always say that it's hard to uh, serve people that you don't love. And we know that love is a byproduct, that trust is a byproduct of love. And so, you know, when I started to think with those foundational principles, I shouldn't be servicing any place that I don't know people, love people, willing to serve people, uh, regardless of <laughs> what, what hours I've dedicated myself to, so on and so forth. That's that's what makes this place home for me. Um, that's what makes some of these issues home for other folks, you know, is what, what strikes us here in these places, you know? And, um, you know, I, what I said earlier about um, me starting something before, yeah, I, my intentions were in the right place, but um, my mantra after that was never to attach payment to my purpose. And so understanding who I was and what I intrinsically was uh, who I intrinsically am and what I was what I feel like I'm here to do, what I can't turn off me being a connector, um, that's what we really have to build around and um um you know, just hope that uh people are drawn to the light and that we're able to build more light. you know that's for me, it's just mm-hmm. staying staying where we're supposed to staying in my lane. that's what I'm gonna be doing. I mm-hmm. worry about me
0: the goal isn't so much larger or more mainstream, but it's, I love that idea of shining more light. Can you talk about that too, Ron and, and Ken as well?
1: Well, let me, let me just re- reverberate exactly what uh, Julian is saying. Uh, we gotta stay in our lane because uh, frankly, uh, the east side of Cleveland has been a news desert forever and there's plenty of news there already, but the other side of it is, do I wanna expand into an area that's gonna be more work? N- not really, not at this time anyway. Uh, and I don't see it in the future, to be honest with you. It's it's niche news, and again, uh, J- as Julian said, uh, you, you you report on where you love, who you love, and then you you gain that trust, and that's that's the the real uh, 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 end game of this, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, when we when we first selected the name uh, Buckeye Flame, uh, I got a lot of pushback, um, in particular um, my people in my family went to the University of Michigan, uh, but mostly from people who didn't think it should just be called, a, they thought it should just be called a plane. Don't call it the Buckeye plane because at some point you might be able to expand and go more national. Mm. never the goal. Uh, there is more than enough to cover. Uh, we're not trying to compete with the advocate and OutMac, who have resources that we can't even approach. Uh, we want it all to be through that lens, right? So, in, in the podcasting world, we call it narrow casting, where you're starting with this dedicated community that's invested, and then hopefully it does expand and we're hitting on some universal themes. We're still gonna hit on national issues, right? We're still gonna talk about the fact that. Uh, I can't walk out of my house right now and go give blood because gay men are banned from giving blood for a year, right? That's a national issue. But we're always going to approach it from uh, an Ohio LGBTQ perspective um, as the only state in the country where trans people cannot change their gender as, mm-hmm. as one of, you know, only not the majority of states where we don't have the protections I listed earlier. So we really, I mean, everything that Julian said, it, it resonated so much with me, and I'm so appreciative for those words of just, this is our community, this is this is what we're sticking with. We're certainly not going to run out of stories to tell as we stay with LGBT people. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: love
0: that. Um, what, so, someone's asking, uh, what support do you need? Hmm. What kind of support would you like? Wow! Well, I bet you my group would say um, advertising
4: and they would probably, for their individual publications, and they would probably also say readers and people who are interested in solutions, which is what our little niche is, you know. I All my publications could, you know, Write whatever they want, as long you know. But what we're paying for really is for solution stories—stories stories that point to ways that communities are trying to solve problems that maybe long-standing, uh, maybe novel, just uh, sprung up during COVID, but actually have found some ways to solve them. And that's what we—that's the kind of stories that we want to tell. But I would say, yeah, readers, advertising, um, interests—you
0: know, concerns. And I should we should say here that the, it's neosojo.com, right? right? And on there, we Thank can see you. all the partners of the collaborative. Mm-hmm.
4: All um, the partners links to those and, Partner sites. Yeah. And all the solution stories that we've done, many of them that we've done so far as well. So.
1: Yeah, I guess our, our barrier is, or opportunity is bringing continuity to the three, I mean, the Cleveland Observer has the three platforms. It has the web platform. It has a social media platform. It also has the print platform. And we're even trying to go into the uh, broadcasting platform. <laughs> yeah, more work. But but uh, the barrier becomes bringing continuity to that and then connecting, still still maintaining the connection with the community. Uh, and uh, again, more, more input from the community would serve me great. Sure. More input.
0: Ken, Julian, anybody?
2: Um, we'll take them we're happy with donations there you know like that's anything that keeps the work going we, we are really uh, dead set on compensating all of our writers um, we do not ask for free content um, and and uh, it's it's amazing that some people push back on that and say no no I'm just happy to be published no stop saying that you're, you're compensated for your time that's how this works uh, So all of our financing goes towards writers. We don't have any other costs. It's funny, I said when I was working with Prism, I, I said, I, I, as soon as Prism, if we were to move to an online-only publication, I'm out because I don't wanna, I have no desire to be the editor of an online-only publication. And then here I am the editor of an online-only publication and, and I, I really enjoy it. Uh, and it, <laughs> the, costs, the costs are like zero, except that we have to compensate, we have to compensate our writers. So all the money that gets donated Uh, It's tax deductible and goes to our writers. It goes literally to creating new LGBTQ Ohio content.
0: I love this idea that, you know, even though you're talking about the idea of loving your community and staying in your lane, all of you are growing in -hmm. different ways. Julian going to, uh, towards launching the website and, and with the equipment for the community. Ron just going to broadcast, going all over the city, <laughs> all, everyone is growing within their community that they love. And I
3: think that's so important. Yeah. It, you know, you plant a seed, the seed has to break the shell, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a process. Um, there has to be a lot of support around that seed to say the very least. Um, but we also have to create the conditions for growth to ensure it continues to grow as well and um and you know so when we think about like what we need yeah we need everything i would imagine all of us we are that seed right we're we, we're being planted in these spaces and um we're being forced to kind of crack our shell and to grow in uncomfortable spaces that we're unfamiliar at and um you know just to 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 be um you know relying on, on, on our surroundings, which are unfamiliar to us, you know, um, that's what growth is. That's what it looks like. And, um, that's something we have to embrace. But if we're planning close enough to one another, we can share root systems and that's what we're doing here. You know, so, you know, there's a lot that's happening here, but, um, yeah, it, hey. growth is hard. And, hey, you know, I just got a,
1: I just got a text from one of the writers that had not one of the volunteer writers who said, looks like you owe me some money. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think
0: we should talk to Ken though. Ken was
1: one doing
0: all that. I do. <laughs> okay, we have uh, another question that's just come in. Do the panelists see local policy changes part of their missions, and how does the reporting how do the reporting efforts translate to policy advocacy?
4: Yeah. Um, I think that's really kind of critical and the place probably many of us are trying to get to. Uh, I think that the writing helps people understand what the problem is. I mean, you know, people can't go out and agitate until they understand like, oh, this is how you're being treated and this is why you're being treated that way. And this is maybe some of the ways that you can change that. So I think that's what our goal is, is to hit that. And that's one, one of the reasons why we thought the utility moratorium story was so important. Just how confusing, (laughs) there's a lot of resources out there, but you know, good luck in trying to figure out, you know, how to actually utilize them. And maybe that will force some people in power to say like, hey, there are ways that we could chop this apart and break this apart and make it easier for people to get the kind of services they need. And so yeah, impact. I think probably everybody on this panel would say that that's like their
1: north star, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, the impact is is big, and I, I think some of the things have already started to impact. The, the uh, social gave us funding for the uh, pregnancy, minority women's mm-hmm. pregnancy, and co-ed, uh, COVID, and how it has affected after you know uh, after the pandemic has has been with us for so long, and. To be honest with you, I didn't realize how uh, how black women, pregnant black women, were being treated. Not necessarily just pregnant black women, but women going to the doctor. And 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 that story opened up my mind, and I'm hoping that it opens up other people's mind to understand what people go through. And I think if you if you read the news lately on channel one of the channels, University Hospital just got a big million dollar donation for pregnant disparities, uh, health disparities for minorities, another uh, funded project by Sojo that we did. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to figure out if there's some correlation to that, a relationship to that, I'm hoping so. Uh, And what it tells me is that we are all doing a service to the community and it seems to be working. Mm
0: -hmm. I think particularly, you know, the utility story, I imagine if I'm out there and I'm struggling with this, there's really not a place for me to recognize that this is a common story. Mm -hmm. And Uh so the the storytelling and the sharing uplifts it for for policy change, but it also can help me individually recognize, ah, this is an issue. Right. Yeah. Um, For
4: so many people where I think we just heard that the city of Cleveland has about 90,000 people who would, you know have trouble paying their bills? That's like the latest figure, and maybe it'll be updated. So it's a major issue.
0: So we have a question here about reprinting. Um, we talked a little bit about this before when we talked about you know the Buckeye Flame section, steal our stories, but how is content shared between you all, if at all? Um, how do you handle yeah. others' content?
2: Um, we that page our our stories page. I stole from another website, so <laughs> it really is That's a bit circular.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, ours is a uh, deliberate. brick. <laughs> the way Neil Sojo works, wherever the collaboratives are, and there are nine other collaboratives or eight other collaboratives. The way it works at each one is that you know we're paying for solution stories for our our members to do that, and then. Uh, the stipulation is that then those, shared, those stories must be shared. And so therefore, I'm just so happy a lot of my partners see some stories and they're like, ah, oh, you know, that'll work for my publication too. So that's the idea. And that broadens the reach of all those stories. So that way, many more people can see them and read them and comment on them and Engage with them. So, and
1: and you know, Lila uh, Sharon is a is a workhorse. She she tracks all the stories. She tracks all the all the hits that they get on the websites. She gets the comments. She sees who is produced, uh, who is publishing on different websites. Uh, She holds us to the task. She actually does hold us accountable
4: for it. I'm trying. (laughs) But they're a good
1: bunch.
0: They're a good bunch anyway.
1: So
0: (laughs) not that much hard work. (laughs) And and it's important to note, though, that there's always the credit. Right. So it's not just a free for all. We're just giving it away. There's kind of a, a... uh, structure problems. to the chaos right and we mm-hmm. want to make sure that you can always find out where the content came from because that's part of it being trusted yeah.
1: right yeah, yeah we, we had an opportunity to, to actually uh, produce a, a story from the documenters program that you're familiar with oh. uh, Lila and uh, at the bottom of the of the uh, uh, of the article we put that that story came out of the document Cleveland. You, you guys are called the Cleveland Documenters, Document, correct? Yes, yes. So, I mean, and that's common courtesy uh, across the board for all the publications is to whoever you, wherever you got that story from, to give them credit for that story. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think that was our first time we had Documenters content published, republished. Oh, oh, another, right. another first. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Okay. We're we're coming to time. So we're going to wrap up. I want to give everybody a last moment to say anything that we didn't touch on. Anything that you really want to make sure people walk away from today keeping in mind okay i'll go
4: (laughs) i'll say like one of the things i want people to keep in mind is that you know we're focusing on solutions because we know that there are solutions to many of these problems Um, whether they're long-standing or not i'm thinking of ron A big four-part series on doctors, black doctors in particular, have been doing so much with AIDS and now have turned the expertise they learned from the whole AIDS crisis onto how to build trust in the black community around COVID, which is critical as those vaccines come down the pipeline. So um, I guess I would say solutions, they're really important. They're really out there. And that's our job to highlight them.
0: Mm. I love it. They're really out there i right. think sometimes we we forget like solutions it's it's easy it's, to forget yes yeah.
2: I think one of the things that the collaborative really enables us to do is and, and Sharon had mentioned about and, and everyone just mentioned about broadening the reach and that's amazing but for us also just adding complexity to the stories mm-hmm. uh, I think that the the really allows us to be truly intersectional what we are shooting, that it's not, you're not an LGBTQ person who's experiencing this issue, um, but maybe you're an LGBTQ person uh, navigating the moratorium and utilities, uh, or uh, you're, you're living in East Cleveland, or you are a black trans woman, so that we are allowing people to show up in their full selves uh, when it is republished in all of these different fora. Uh, because people are seeing it across the board, so it, it's really allowing us to achieve the intersectionality that we're going for, and, and allowing people to be really their whole selves. That's that's
1: that's our goal. So it's been great. Mm. Mm. I guess the biggest the biggest message that I would send is is we're a community. I mean, the the journalism community here in Cleveland is pretty robust, and. You know, learning and working with all of these people who are professionals and even the local volunteers, we're all a family and we all have the same issues. And it's totally contrary to what's going on on a national level. Well, maybe be changing on a national level. But I just enjoy being a part of this big family of uh, journalism. And it's it's just fun. And I, And if we can continue to build that that family and, and prop each other up. Through collaborations, that would be fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Julian,
0: any any last words you wanna uh, take home with?
3: You know, just value of community. You know, if you want to go far, uh, go together, right? And um, that's the that's the goal here is just to go as far as we can. How far can we take this idea? And uh, Julian Khan has his has his boundaries. Uh, but but community doesn't and um, energy never dies. So, you know, we can always pick this up and maybe this isn't um, maybe we won't realize it, you know, but um, I always like to think that, you know, if uh, if we plan to see the, the end of our work or, or whatnot, we're just not asking big enough questions. And mm. So just got to keep asking those right questions.
0: That was wonderful. Um, thank you all for for uh, being part of the forum today. Uh, you just. Uh, conversation was so good and you leave me with a lot to think about. Um, (laughs) Thank you for joining us for today's forum featuring representatives from the newest publications and media partnerships in Northeast Ohio. We've been talking with Sharon Broussard, project coordinator for the Northeast Ohio Solutions Journalism Collaborative. We've been talking with Ron Calhoun, publisher of the Cleveland Observer. We've been talking with Julian Kahn, founder and curator of A Greater Buckeye as well as Ken Schneck, editor of the Buckeye Flame. This forum is part of the Reimagining Journalism series sponsored by the Cleveland Foundation. We appreciate their support of City Club programming. This forum is also the annual WCLV forum endowed by Robert and Jean Conrad, which recognizes the extraordinary relationship between a Cleveland radio station and the City Club of Cleveland and celebrates their mutual respect for the fundamental importance of free speech. We appreciate Bob and Jean's ongoing support of the City Club. All City Club virtual forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, Eaton, the George Gunn Foundation, Key Bank, Nordson, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. And the many more generous members, sponsors, and donors listed on their website at cityclub.org slash thank you. You can join them in supporting this work when you make a contribution online or become a a member at cityclub.org. I'm Lila Mills. Thanks for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned.